Hi, I am Ulysses, and this is Music, Meaning, and Mystery Podcast. The aim of this podcast is to explore the mysteries of music. In this episode, I have a conversation with pop musician Jeff Bryant. You can listen to Jeff's music at therealjeffbryant.com. So one time we talked about music and I allowed myself to discuss music with you in a like open way and I was letting myself be my esoteric self and um, you responded with yes I think music is about connection what kind of connection are you talking about when you say that that's what you seek with your music yeah I guess this is such an immediate language right I mean I think and to be clear, as much as we're having this esoteric conversation, my experience of music throughout the years, gravitating towards it in the first place, has never really been analytical. But I can now retrospectively consider, oh, this was always about wanting to to relate to people. So, I mean, it's a it's a beautiful feeling, whichever side of it you're on, to to respond to music that you're hearing or to play music. And to feel like people are tuning into it somehow. It's a, it's a real pleasure because you haven't necessarily, you don't know this person, you haven't figured out how to say hello to that person, you don't know what values you have, or if you had a conversation, what the conversation would consist of. But for a moment in time, there's an obvious agreement about something, even if it's just a momentary, whatever, the groove, this, maybe it's a cover song and the person likes that song. But if there's some experience of agreement, that's heartening for human beings <laughs> to agree on things. So if music can play a role in that, that's intriguing and, and, and joyful. So when those moments of connection happen, how do you recognize them? Like describe with your senses, what is it that is happening? Uh, well, in terms of me observing it, uh, obviously just outward displays of agreement is like, you know, the way that somebody's body becomes engaged. Even if it's like, for me, I play a lot of cover music and it means so much to me, so much to me. If I'm scanning the room and I see somebody tapping their foot or, you know, <laughs> kind of bouncing their body up and down, even just, you know, slightly. I just notice the difference it makes in terms of my engagement, in what I'm doing versus if there's none of that. <laughs> and then I guess it's just my own sense of connection to what I'm playing. But I, I guess maybe the point I'm wanting to make here is that I notice that my experience of playing music, it unmistakably shifts if I feel like there's a conversation happening. And if there's no conversation, I can enjoy music, you know, on my own. But it feels really great to uh, to use it as a language. And I guess the language is just like, hopefully if it's not egotistical and narcissistic and self-aggrandizing, it's just about, it's just about saying hello and hopefully radiating love at the risk of sounding hippie-ish, unduly hippie-ish. It's really just about a loving intention and somebody reflecting that loving intention back. Okay, fine, I'm a hippie. I, was, I wasn't going to tell you till later in the podcast, but I've been growing up my hair recently and, uh, and I've got some beads that I'm wearing right now also. I support your transition to, uh, to hippie. <laughs> yeah. well, and, and the audience should know that I am, I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat balding as I have been for many years. So, so the decision to grow up my hair, it's, it's quite a commitment because yeah. I think it's going to, I think it's going to look very wispy. I'm looking forward to your Indiegogo campaign where we, uh, 
raise funds to buy you a toupee. <laughs> or just a yarmulke, <laughs> right? It doesn't have to be hair. Mm-hmm. There's something to cover that the dome. It's just nobody wants to see that. For connection, can you talk about a few specific instances where that happened successfully and describe that experience for me? Yeah, well, I can give you a really overt experience this summer that was really, for me, profound. So back in August, you know, at, at the time, the pandemic playing out for several months so therefore me not playing music at all not just in terms of gigging but to be honest i don't really pick up the guitar and and just play it's usually for me it's about working on something specific or performing so not only not performing for an audience but just not really opening my mouth to sing or or picking up the guitar to play in july i i wrote a couple songs that meant a lot to me and i noticed oh i I really feel the urge to share this through live performance. All those months, I really, to be, if I'm honest, I, I didn't, I didn't miss live performance at all. But because of these songs, I suddenly did, and so I just, I knew it was a given. I don't want to wonder if one day there'll be a circumstances for me to do do so. I, I'm going to do this immediately, and I have to figure out how. So thankfully, because I have a background in things like busking and and different unconventional versions of performance. I had some orientation for what this might be, but I did something that's far cheekier than anything I've ever done before, really, which is <clears throat> I went to a, a beautiful park next to the ocean in Victoria in Oak Bay called uh, Willows Willows Beach Park. And I I had heard about these, but I'd never done it before. But I figured out yeah, that you can get a battery powered. It's like a battery powered speaker essentially a PA that you can just plug straight into with your guitar and your mic. And there's a little bit of reverb on there. It's battery powered. So, you know, my whole life, if I'm going to play music and it's going to be plugged in, it's all about where's the outlet, man. Like you got to have the outlet. So this is just like an intriguing proposition. Oh, you mean you can play anywhere? So I, the cheeky thing was me going down there. I'm very Canadian. And, and I guess my personality is I'm unassuming. So I was, uh, I was really questioning whether it was way too presumptuous to just go down to a park and start playing because in a way you're dominating the soundscape of the space, the area. And, you know, everybody there's just trying to like live their li- lives and have a good time. And they have every right to not necessarily want to hear you play music. That was my thought, which is, I think, a respectful thought. So I went down there to play, not really understanding whether it might antagonize some people and by the way i mean it's 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 absolutely not allowed i mean the municipality you're not allowed to just do that but i just kind of thought what do i have to lose like if if it seems like people it's bothering them i'll stop but i i gotta go for it so i set up to play and it was maybe the most joyful experience i've ever had playing music because it wasn't predicated on it wasn't work it wasn't for money it wasn't for anything other than just wanting to express um, be a part of the community, express some joy, you know, create some joy, share these new songs, play some other songs. And once I kind of settled into it, I think because people miss live music, there were, you know, a lot of people there that were really satisfied by, by that. And so for me, it was just like, Oh, some, as somebody who'd been pretty disconnected from people and didn't really have any outlets for participating in the community, suddenly I was getting the chance to, uh, to connect with all sorts of people, 
and and just witness joy just witness children like dancing and doing backflips and 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 people dancing people getting up and dancing and people smiling and and the world just felt like a more inviting place and so i just think it's just so exciting to be a part of that and and when it was the result of me doing something unconventional i felt like oh this is such a reward for following my intuition no that's a really good uh experience and then you communicated that very well i appreciate that uh, through the lens of the research that i'm doing for my writing project what i see happening there is uh, humans being in ceremony in a sacred location how much would you say that that being in that location had an impact into making that connection successful yeah that's a good question i mean that was highly significant because it was such an idyllic spot is this beautiful spot by the ocean so you know oftentimes when i perform you know i got to think about the clothes that i'm wearing and like i just got to think about assuming some sort of role and it's you know it might be in a nice venue or something but it's just all in a way it's if it's indoors it's kind of confined so just to be outdoors wearing like a t-shirt and shorts and like no shoes feel the sea breeze and i i made sure that i positioned myself that i was, so that i was staring at the ocean and like the mountains the whole time i'm playing i mean it was comical it was comical you know the degree to which the environment was uh played a role in it because people had all gravitated to this place specifically to enjoy the outside world and then the music was just a an ambient contribution to that experience that they're already seeking and i i just feel felt privileged that for for some of the people there it was it was heightening the the experience and for me that's like sitting down and playing that's my that's my kind of sitting down and playing the guitar for a couple hours because i think that's one of the reasons why i don't really play on my own now that i'm analyzing it is that i can enjoy music for the sake of music but i guess for me the point is to 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 be around people so there's no i don't think i've ever experienced a more relaxed version of playing music than sitting down there on a a, a summer's day in the shade so i'm not getting scorched and just basically witnessing people smiling and frolicking <laughs> it doesn't really get much better than that and again because there was no commercial like no monetization of it no desire to do that no intention to do that it just felt so so pure it felt so nice it, felt, it was really healing for me actually because i'm very grateful for a lot of the work that i have and the gigs that i have but to be honest sometimes some of the gigs are just very uptight in a way and kind of the antithesis of, of the of the the picture it is painted some of them not all what is it about those two different types of musical settings that makes them contrast freedom freedom it's about freedom freedom to be what you are yeah going down to that environment where nobody's asked me to do this so i don't have an an employer with a mandate or expectations i'm just a guy who has a loving intention and knows how to play some of these songs total freedom and again even just how i'm dressed is such an example of that i'm not thinking about how I'm, what what fabric i should use to conceal my naked body <laughs> i'm just wearing the fabric that conceals my naked body that's comfortable <clears throat> and also just feeling my bare feet in the grass you know feeling my feet on the earth i mean of course that's in, innately superior to my shoes on concrete or whatever 
So you're making a connection not just with the humans around you, but to the land that you're you're sitting on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Being being connected to nature in a in a literal sense. It's um, it's an an environment that allows deeper values of your craft to flourish. I think so, and I don't think I would have anticipated that or thought that, but I think it's I think it is true. Now, you mentioned that uh, your observation was that people miss live music. How can you tell they miss live music and why do you think they do? It was just how effusive um, people were. When people would come over and be comp make, you know, be complimentary or give encouraging feedback, maybe they even said it overtly at times. I just, I just sensed it. I was like, oh, part of this is people have had limited access to live artistic performance and in this case music performance they may have known it already or may may know it now more than ever before but it nourishes their soul in an essential way and for some of the people i talked to it felt like i was i was bringing like a a glass of water to the desert or something i don't know like it really was it was surprising how effusive some people were and i take very little credit for it. You know, I wasn't thinking, oh, this really speaks to my innate value as a musician. I thought, oh, this really speaks to how important music is and live music. Because it's interesting to think about the difference of somebody coming down and playing, you know, some music off their iPhone on a Bluetooth speaker versus somebody playing a stringed instrument and singing. And I think that really is testament to uh, to the powerful connection people have to to live performance, something that's happening right now. A really, really intriguing thing for me to experience because as technology advances, I mean, I have no preconceptions about this. I technology's advanced so much in the course of my short life and it will continue to do so increasingly, exponentially. I don't have any assumptions about what people will hold on to or there's so many ways in, wh in which technology potentially displaces human connection. I mean, here we are having a conversation, leveraging technology, which is to our benefit, but of course, never the same as looking each other in the eye in the same room. And I think that experience really instructed me that, oh, you will never be able to supplant um, looking in somebody's eyes and something happening now. Like there is no replacement for that. There's just ways to enhance that maybe with, or there's just ways to leverage technology around sharing music, disseminating music, whatever, but there's something about like a, a stringed instrument, just the vibrations. I don't know, it makes me happy because obviously I love guitar and I love vocals and harmonies. And when I think about the 60s in particular, 60s, 70s, I kind of feel like what I love seems less and less and less and less relevant to people. But no, there's people who always want a live musician, I think. Do you think they, they know that? that they want this or they realize it when they encounter it? Yeah, I think it's who's to say whether it's understood consciously for any given person. But what I witnessed was just the immediate, as I say, watching people who were, their body was, was still, as maybe there's like the ambient sound of music playing on somebody's speaker. And then when there's, now I'm playing live music, there's like their eyes like light up. So I just kind of witnessed their body react to it, regardless of their conscious uh, interpretation or analysis of it. So it, it animates them. 
yeah, it animates them and their body regardless of thoughtful analysis or consciousness about it. It's just, it's just a impulse. It's recognized at a, at a deeper layer, the layer of all the way down to the flesh. It's, it's almost like your, your brain or your mind, whatever you want to call it, uh, takes a break and something else um, recognizes what is going on. Yeah, it's like a reflex. Well, if it nourishes the soul, like you say, and some people take that literally and say that it's your, your soul returns. Uh, I know in my research, the, the shamanic craft is, uses music and sound to call back the soul. And illness is defined as the loss of soul or loss of parts of your soul. So the, the, the music is what the lost soul recognizes in an alien environment, because if you're lost, then you're in an unfamiliar place. Mm. Music is the, is the trail of breadcrumbs that lets your soul come back. And maybe this is uh, one way of understanding why the body understands music, because the body becomes animated with the soul when it's called back home. Yeah, home. I was just going to say it's returning home, like whatever that means. But that's exactly what I was just thinking, the concept of home. Back to the womb, back to space, <laughs> whatever your conception is of consciousness or uh, it's just it's it does feel like returning to a safe place. I, the older I get, the more it dawns on me like, damn, people like music. <laughs> it's, you know, It's like. I've had such an interesting relationship with music, I think, because for much of my life, it's all been about achievement or taking me somewhere, something like that. And so I think for much of my life, it's been a heady thing or something. Whereas I think the older I get, the more I just think, okay, sure, you can think about that stuff. But in terms of presence, what about tuning in to this moment? When I've had moments in my life where I'm really tuned into what's happening musically in this moment, yeah, it's like, it's a good method for presence when we tend to obsessively analyze the past and the future. Music is like a really handy method, I think, for a lot of people to dial into the present moment. And I think that's one of the reasons why it means so much to so many people. You know, it's it's a way to cope with suffering. It's a way to cope with the human condition, whatever, any aspect of suffering uncertainty, heartbreak, depression. It's a way, to, it's heal. A way to, to heal. Yeah, it's a way to heal or and or move in the direction of joyfulness, playfulness. It sounds to me like you're describing a little bit like uh, you were humbled in that experience uh, because you realized it's not you that's creating this. You're, you're just facilitating it. it. Sounds to me like it healed you as well. So the idea of when we elevate others that we elevate ourselves right yeah that all rings pretty true i mean it, it continues to heal me it sustained me and i do i do endeavor to be humbled by by the the idea that i'm just like jumping into a moving river as opposed to inventing anything or having some innate gift or something i think that humans are gifted and it's just more about tuning into things in a way mm. yeah I think, I don't know, but I mean, that's kind of, I kind of lean more towards that because I think it's a more, uh, I think it's more useful than delusions of grandeur. Mm -hmm.
that experience you've described sounds very different to the experience of you um, launching yourself into a songwriting project with a view possibly of writing an album. I remember you describing the beginning of that process as going in the trenches. That's a war, uh, violent metaphor, as opposed to what you described as being in the flow of a sacred space. What made those two things different? It's the war of art, you know, resistance. I think anybody that's ever endeavored to pursue a creative impulse knows something about this. And your one's personality will influence your experience of it. But my God, it's such a, you're really forced to confront yourself when you attempt to create. So resistance is real and I'm humbled by it. And I would never, I don't imagine that any philosophizing or analysis can preclude you from the challenge that is resistance. But I think mindfulness around it can help you to float downstream more and, and try to swim upstream less. So in terms of the warlike analogy, I mean, I, I think I stand by that to this day and moving forward because it's like the war of jumping into the trench. I remember that day in particular. I mean, the songs that I wrote for that album, The Great Unknown, were songs that were born of, which is often the case for people when they choose to create art, just really being just heart-wrenching pain around uh, loving somebody and it not working out. And it was just that specific day I decided to, we lived in the same building at the same time and there was a common room that I could use to to write in because I liked the idea of writing somewhere other than my own my own space, my own where I live, my own apartment. And uh, I, it's just, I got to a point where I I knew I needed to do this, but it didn't mean that it was any less frightening. <laughs> So it's not as if I was like, I overcame my fear of it. It's just that the desperate need to do it finally, at least in this moment, overcame was was even more than the terror. So that's why I shuffled down there. Oh, hey, man, I'm going to go do this now. It's not like I was like, hey, man, I'm going to do this. And I know it's going to be great. I knew it was going to be war in the sense that I was going to sit in there and have to confront all my feelings of worthlessness and inability and the futility of this exercise. And, and it's going to, it's going to reveal how failed I've been at so far in my life and all that stuff, all that stuff. And the experience I had that day incidentally was a, was a profound one because I, it's like, it's like, um, it's analogous to you've got like a thousand piece jigsaw puzzle. You got to do it. But like the whole thing is white or something. <laughs> like it's just really tiny pieces and the whole thing's white. It's just one color. It's impossible. going to be it's seemingly impossible. What I noticed was when I first sat down to do it, I'm just struggling with the wasting a lot of energy on the improbability of this and the doubt. And then just through sheer persistence, okay, I've just committed. I'm going to sit with this. Oh, I found this corner piece here's another corner piece. And suddenly I've got the corner pieces and I'm working out the outer edges. And without realizing it, at some point I've crossed the threshold from being very focused on the improbability and the doubt to, oh, suddenly I've shifted to being like a kid who wants to do puzzles, a kid who wants to play and use his or her imagination to without any uh, barriers to that, without any inner cr critic. It's just um, pure. 
So the, you know, the, I'll always remember that because that was such an example of, oh, therefore the answer is to have the courage to sit with the uncertainty. And it doesn't mean you're entitled to, you know, flowing downstream and stop with the swimming upstream. It might, you know, it might not work out. It, you might quote unquote fail, but it's the tolerance for sitting, the sitting that is the primary determinant speaking for myself, but I think for anybody, I think they learn this lesson or they don't. It's just like, you have to learn to sit with your discomfort. Same thing with meditation. Same thing with if you're struggling with an emotional issue and you don't want to just take drugs again to make, or eat that, you know, eat that chocolate or whatever it is, whatever the thing is you do that changes your state to make the pain shift the, the pain into a sense of pleasure. Are you willing to sit with it? And so I'll always remember that day because that was a day that I learned something about sitting. To me, this looks like what I've come to call the shaman's journey in shamanic traditional cultures uh, and throughout cultures in history, really. And we still have these here. It's just a little bit more hidden and we're not familiar with that sort of language. Uh, there's the initiatory process, which is starts with uh, always a difficult experience, an illness or coma or near-death experience or uh, severe isolation. And the uh, shaman is said to go in the spirit world and be torn apart uh, limb by limb or his head is ripped off or, you know, some, some sort of like brutal, violent process and then put together. Uh, and once put together, his condition is changed. And that's when he can heal. So the, sh the shaman has to uh, face a difficult process before he's able to help anybody else with their illness or their difficulties. So it sounds to me like a little bit like there's something of an initiation in there uh, where before you can go to a place where you can access flow states, ecstatic states, and be present in the moment. You have to be able to face your own fears, face your own demons, uh, banish them or make friends with them. Then you have, quote unquote, earned uh, through the, the humbling experience, the ability to be a healer. Yeah, that resonates for me. And I mean, the only modification I would make is that it will continue to play out. Yeah. It will not just be an isolated experience of that. But mm -hmm. in fact, that will be your life. And I think I think what I see more and more in my life and in the lives of others is that there's a direct correlation between pain and hopefully learning and growth. And therefore, it might not make the experience of suffering any more tolerable when you're suffering. You know, I don't want to diminish what suffering is. But there is something hopeful about recognizing that all that's good about you or, or all of your, any ambition you have to grow as a person will rely on you suffering <laughs> in a sense. So it's, it's, I think for me to think that way philosophically is a helpful way to move beyond previously in my life, feeling like suffering is just cruel and unnecessary mm. and unfair, um, but to recognize and maybe you don't recognize it in the moment, but it's always easy to re recognize it in retrospect. Ah, right. That was a catalyzing force that caused me to confront this or think about this or make this change that led to this other thing. If not for that, there you go. So, I mean, I think that's just the nature of life and consciousness, not just for humans. I think there's just a, I don't know. I think that's the path of like water, you know, 
going down the side of a rock and finding the path of least resistance. I think it's just, I think that your path in life is defined by the in inevitable suffering and, and what you do with it to grow or not. And there's so many versions. It takes so much. I don't want to even give too much credit to the individual because it's, it's courage. Yes. But maybe it's circumstances or good fortune or what have you, but there's so many ways in which pain results in whatever, all manner of, terrible things, suicide, death, illness, destruction, violence, cancer, depression, addiction. There's no shortage of expressions of pain that are not growthful. So you just, if you find a way to grow at any point in life, you hopefully recognize and be grateful for it because that's what we're here to do. I like how this is a, uh... It's really helpful to my project. Um, I'm, I'm trying to expand or maybe more clearly define what we think of when we think of the craft of musician. Um, it's not about notes, not about scales, you know, where that's really just a detail. There's so much more to the craft of being a musician when you have an encounter with music's power. There's a responsibility to deepen the relationship to the craft so i, I appreciate you you know uh, exploring this realm with me I, it's yeah i just wanted to thank you for that as you say that i just briefly say it just makes me consider you know in terms of language like speech does it really matter if somebody has a phd in english <laughs> <laughs> you know what i mean like if you want to talk to a person how much does it matter wh what their experience has been of acquiring the words yeah what of course matters most is just the spirit of that person and the, their desire your desire to connect with each other and then you leverage language and words to try to articulate or specify what's on your mind and what you're feeling and i just feel like oh why why wouldn't it be the same thing with music okay so if phd in music and you know all the scales and if, if that's helpful great but it doesn't really matter to people how the tools are arrived at it's just about expressing something you feel or an idea using music or using words or using how you smile at somebody whatever you use so i think that's interesting to to compare them when we get offline uh, i'm going to send you a, a book recommendation something i'm reading now it's a it's a book uh, written by a bass player and he goes a, a lot into that sort of topic it's uh, he challenges us to to think about music more like a language like that is how long did it take you to learn to speak did you go to school for it ah. uh, do you think about syntax and when you speak you know that sort of thing right yeah okay there it is well yeah. that's great i think i, I think I, i've heard of this book before and you know it's funny there's so many times in life where you're something oh, i think i should do that or i should read that or and you don't but then later you kind of get hit over the head with it like i'm being hit over the head in this moment and I, i've actually become more of a reader i'll have you know jason and, and i'm going to try to get him in an interview too because uh, he would be he would be a good guy to talk to what's the name of the book do you re recall offhand it's called the music lesson by victor wooten yeah that's the one yeah last question uh i think i'm i'm going to be asking everyone this question this might become the traditional closing question but what I'll should set the people... bar low for everybody else sounds good yeah um 
I, I, I expect nothing less. <laughs> <laughs> or nothing more, as it were. <laughs> what should people listen to? Oh. I'm going to imagine that the way you phrase that question doesn't restrict my answer to music. Well, they should listen to their heart. I mean, I, at the risk of sounding saccharine. I, if I'm honest, that's, as I say, I'm growing up my hair, still got this bald, bald area. <laughs> I'm full on, <laughs> full on becoming a hippie. Um, I think people should listen to their heart. They should start with that because anything else that you listen to will, will extend from that. It begins with listening to your heart. What does that mean? I don't know. Everybody's got to figure that out for themselves. But I just know that in my life, when I've listened to my heart, it, all the good stuff extends from that difficult though it it seems maybe to do that to apply that conviction but when i've done that good things have happened so people should listen to their heart there's no better advice as saccharine as it may seem i think people should maybe maybe some people need something sweet maybe these days yeah yeah well it's an interesting all all the cliches are cliches for a reason thank you so much for having this conversation with me i really appreciate it yeah, it's my pleasure. It flew by. I mean, it speaks to my enjoyment of the conversation that I'm surprised it's over already. But it's, it's been a pleasure. I really enjoyed Jeff's story of playing music in a park by the ocean. This was a sacred moment for him and his community. And his music was part in making that moment sacred. I think that's worth considering as musicians. That we have the power to infuse ceremony into a moment, a space, a community. Jeff's parting wisdom was for us to listen to our heart. But what does the heart say? Well, the physical heart beats like a drum. And I think that's a clue.